we brought this question directly to our Twitter reps at the time and say, we want to find every single mention of McDonald's all day breakfast that has ever been tweeted. We customize a plan to reply to every single one. We ended up replying to 25,000 plus people individually. It's not often that it happens, but today's episode made me really, really hungry. And you'll learn why when you get into it. Uh, it made me really, really hungry for a specific type of food item. Uh, and uh, I don't know, I may just have to run out and go go fetch some some of it uh, after we record this. Uh, but the uh, what I, I love about about the the conversation today is is really the focus on kind of just fundamental community mechanics, like human community social group forming, norming, storming mechanics. Uh, and, and it's kind of at the root of the work in public relations, which is uh, our guest's background today, but also in general, that's just how social kind of works. Yeah, this is a really fun episode um, with Josh Rangel, who is the Senior Vice President of Social Media at Golin. And Daniel, I agree. I am also um, feel a little peckish now after uh, our our talks with him and specifically a campaign that he walks through, which, as you teased, is really at the heart of it all about really tapping into the community in very unique ways. And this campaign was from several years ago, as we mentioned on on the, the conversation today. And uh, it's there's still opportunities, I think, to break new ground in social like this today. Uh, it's just really finding those opportunities. And it's just such a cool story, such a cool campaign. Everybody's going to love it. And Josh really highlights how they did it, why they did it, and the results. So it's it's just a really, really great conversation with Josh in general today. Yep. I'm super excited for you to, uh, to hear all about it. Uh, but before we get into today's episode, let's hear from our fantastic show sponsors, ICUC. Hi, Social Pros listeners. This is Simran from the strategy team at ICUC. Today, we're talking all about how social media can nurture users to create better customer experiences. Today, social media functions as one of the very first touch points that consumers and brands will have. Even though it's all digital, social media is where brands have an opportunity to really forge stronger connections with their target demographic to ultimately keep them or convert them into users and customers. From there, Social media can become a really powerful tool for building advocacy and affinity towards your brand, all while cultivating a better customer experience. So brands can leverage things like social listening to see how users are talking about their products and services and identify opportunities to boost positive sentiment. This includes insights-driven content that speaks to actual pain points or topics of interest for your audience, or potentially using social media to actively and specifically proactively interact with users as a way to maintain a great customer experience. So a good example of this is Surprise and Delight. Surprise and Delight opportunities on social media are huge at the moment and a really good way to show brands that they care about their customers and make, the, make customers feel seen and heard. Because social listening and monitoring can give you really a, a real-time look into what customers are saying or doing about a brand or just in general online, it allows brands to act quickly. So let's say there's a user who is always posting positive things about your brand, whether it's a comment or their own content, you can turn that into a nurturing opportunity. You could send them a digital gift card to show your appreciation for their loyalty, or maybe you could go out and uh, find a little bit more information about that user 
find out what they like and, and don't like and craft a really personalized response next time you're engaging with them online. So if you're interested in learning more about how social can really take your customer experience to the next level, please reach out to the ICUC team. You can find us on our website, icuc.social and back over to you, Social Pros. Josh Ringel, Senior Vice President, Social Media at Golan. Welcome to Social Pros. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. You have, uh, you've been at Golan for a bit, uh, not new. We, we often have guests on Social Pros that are new in their position or they've, they've, yeah, they're, you know, just starting a new position. Uh, but you've been at Golan for a bit. You've seen a lot of social uh, evolve in your time there. Yeah. Uh, I like to tell people I'm now going into my senior year of high school at Golan. Uh, that's how long I've been there, which is odd in agency life, but it's a great place to work. And yes, to your point, Daniel, it's, I've seen the evolution of Rand Social uh, from kind of when Rand started getting on there until where we're at now, which is uh, vastly different. Have you, uh, you, you must have worked with brands on MySpace. Uh, <laughs> you must, uh, <laughs> a long enough history in brand social probably to have MySpace roots at some point. It, it, getting on the tail end of that one, but yeah, there were so, some clients yeah. that were still interested in that when, when I was starting on the social side. I was almost like talking about MySpace now is kind of like talking about rotary dial phones, but, you know, like young, really young, uh, young people are like, what is that? That looks, that actually looks pretty good. It's kind of like Minecraft, Minecraft of social. Uh, well, you know, you've, you've been involved at Golan in a, a ton of really award-winning stuff. I mean, uh, Golan does big, you know, bold work in, uh, in social, uh, with its clients. Uh, talking before uh, before the episode, we talked a, a bit about the uh, different things you've done with uh, McDonald's over the years, but in particular, uh, uh, All Day Breakfast, which is definitely one of my favorite features of a McDonald's uh, uh, experience in general. The pancake breakfast is never a bad never a bad move. I feel like it's it's usually, in fact, a, a very good move uh, to make. But you um, back when that launched, kind of walk us. Through because um, I think what was what was interesting about about uh, what we're about to talk about is it's really about community mechanics and how how does a brand do best in an environment like social? Um, so give us the backstory on the all day breakfast uh, that well the campaign. Mm -hmm. So this was back in about we started planning probably in like 2014, right? It, uh, the product launch happened in, in 2015, so a while ago, but. Um, the client came to us and said, we're bringing back all day breakfast, which was a thing. If you watched, I think it was uh, Big Daddy. There's that scene. Can we get the kid? Can we get the kid a happy meal? Whatever. And they, was, they stopped serving breakfast. So there was a, a, a consumer want for it. People desired it. They, it was something that anybody, anybody that you asked would be a fan of all day breakfast. And so they were bringing that back based, based off of community and fan feedback. For that, but they didn't want to go out with just, hey, let's put an ad out, let's do a typical press release, those types of things. They really wanted to make this, um, they really wanted to involve the community with this. And so that was one of the tasks for for our agency was how, as you know, an earned first agency, can we bring this to the people in a unique, in a unique way? And so Golan helped come up with the idea of where 
of the of kind of bringing it to the people. We called it the people's lunch because we were bringing it to the people who asked for it. And um, one of the ways that we uncovered this was through social listening, right? That's because, and that was a little bit earlier in the social listening day. Now it's table sticks, right? You have to have it. And so we wanted to find out where people were talking about this. And at the time, Twitter was, you know, the ultimate place that you were going to do social listening. And so we decided to kind of look at, look at what that, what, what that volume was and really kind of helped us decide where we would launch that. And ultimately we did launch it on Twitter. Um, you know, I can talk a little bit more about the mechanics of it, but essentially we were tasked with thinking of an earn first kind of PR campaign to, to launch all day breakfast and what better way than to do it through the voice of the people who are asking for it. Yeah, actually, if you could go into a bit of the specifics on how you actually tapped into the community mm-hmm. and some of the examples of how you really, I mean, because you dug deep into social listening. Mm-hmm. I mean, this even still today is something that a lot of brands aren't doing to the extent in which you did it for this campaign. So can you go a little bit into the specifics about how that actually was executed and sort of your approach to engaging the community? Yeah. So once we knew that social media and specifically Twitter was going to be the medium that we really wanted to deliver this to the people, yeah. we worked with Twitter and Sprinkler as well. Sprinkler at the time was kind of our, our social management platform tool that we were using, right? And um, we worked with both of them to figure out a way, how can we go back, you know, we can go back 13 months with our, with certain tools. We can go back a little bit here and there, but how can we get really defined? And so we brought this question directly to our Twitter reps at the time say, we want to find every single mention of McDonald's all day breakfast that has ever been tweeted. And they were like, whoa, I don't know if we can do this. This has never been done before. So after a couple of conversations going back and forth with Twitter and with Sprinkler, we figured out, they figured out a way that they could do it. And we kept pushing and pushing. And finally, they helped us kind of go through this really arduous process of scraping Twitter from the beginning, from 2006 when it started to, at the time, 2015, to scrape every single mention of All Day Breakfast that had ever been tweeted globally. And as you can imagine, it was a lot. And I think we discovered about 330 some odd thousand mentions. of, And it had to have a qualifier of McDonald's and all day breakfast, not just McDonald's breakfast, not just, you know, all day breakfast, both of all all of those terms and scrape that 330 plus thousand came through and said, well, we got a lot to work with. And so we had to narrow those things down. Right. And so we worked with Twitter and Sprinkler to figure out how we could indeed narrow those down. And so we like, this is a U.S. based program. So let's cut out anything global. Um, We also have to look out, let's weed out retweets. Let's weed out some of the, so let's look at platform or uh, accounts who are still up and running right? Some brands or some accounts at that point had been deactivated. Uh, and essentially, um, what accounts were um, non-retweets. So we came down, we, we got it down to a, a more uh, digestible 20 some odd thousand number of tweets that we could look at. And so we customized a plan to reply to every single one of those tweets individually, not a blanket like, hey, cut and paste thing. We we didn't do 20,000, I will say. We didn't do 20,000 custom replies, but we did hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of custom replies that we could then kind of re- reuse and repurpose. And, but every single person got a, a, a unique reply from, from us that was, you know, it wasn't just a copy and paste. And so we ended up doing, I think it was like 10,000 or so over the first week. Twitter lifted their um, tweet limit for us at the time. And I think that was one of the first times that they had done that. 
And we ended up replying to 25,000 plus people individually about the program who had asked for it. And so that was what we called the people's launch because we went directly to them. We kicked off what we called our Twitter rocket and we just let it go. And about an hour after that, that's when the press release went out. That's when we started doing our, our earned media. So we really went community first with this approach um, and, and gave it to the people who asked for it, who were the most passionate about it. And there were some celebrities in there too who were asking for it. So we had some fun banter with some celebrities, but mainly it was um, McDonald's customers who just wanted that McDonald's breakfast anytime. All day breakfast, to clarify. Not just breakfast, all day all breakfast. Day. All day. Yeah. Not at the morning hours. I want it at the dinner hours. You know what? I uh, want it roughly at 8 p.m. I, I mean, I think what's so interesting about the the idea of it is uh, it's it's going back so far in time, which kind of breaks a lot of the, you know, social media speed sort of etiquette that that sometimes we preach like you know you should you should respond quickly and if if it's more than a you know a, a week old then maybe let that lie um, and there's been a lot of talk lately about re-influencing uh going back that far is a maybe that's a trend that that needs to be resurfaced that was in, this was in 2015 of course but uh, there's there's a beauty to you know really f- kind of following up on things even if it is years later mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was making good on kind of the pioneers who really were the one, first ones pushing for it. And, you know, the first one that ended up being, I think, in 2007 was the first mention that we could kind of pull from the, those we would respond to. But we wanted to make sure that people, everybody who was asking for it, because those were the most passionate and those were the those were the pioneers, so to speak, the ones that were kicking off this movement. And so we wanted to make sure that we recognized them, uh, even if, you know, even if it had been seven or eight years since we had uh, they had made that request. Well, and what's such a unique way to do some like surprise and delight too by responding to somebody's eight-year-old tweet about like, hey, great news, you asked for this and now we deliver it. Like, I feel like, you know, everybody knows the super famous Amtrak tweet about the person that was stuck in the elevator. Like, it's like this, but like on a very like, like a much bigger, more delightful scale in terms of um, having a full-fledged campaign behind it. But yeah, to Daniel's point, going back and Responding can actually have great results. It doesn't always have to be real time. But speaking of real time, Twitter is in a much different place today than it was back in 2015. Out of curiosity and not to put you on the spot, do you think you and the team would be able to execute something that amazing in the state that Twitter is today? I think there's a lot more. Well, you're right. It's in a different state than it was. And I think it was a little bit more of a, it was a little bit more almost for me, oh, uh, in one way to put it more freeing back then. Like, I feel like there's a little bit more constraints with the way the business potentially is run right now. To me now, doing that with our Twitter rep back then, that was something that they were super interested in because it was a first for Twitter. They could market that too, to say, hey, we have this ability. Now I feel like there might be some bureaucracy in the way that might say, if you want to do something like this, it might be at a business cost or something like that. So it might not be as, it might not be the same, right? It, it, it might, I think you could probably do it. The technology certainly is there. I think it would just have to be executed in a different way. I don't know if we could do it as organically and as earned first as we probably did it back then. I think we could still do it, but there might be some nuances that might require it to, McDonald's to have a little bit of a spend to it um, versus doing it organically, which is really at the core of it was, uh, was making it earned first. Um, but yeah, I, I think you could do it. It just might look different. 
yeah, it, I feel like I totally agree. I feel like you'd have to pay for it some way or another, whether it's like some sort of like Elon Musk is great hashtag or like paying for some kind of some premium surcharge for it. But again, just going back to like the beauty of how organic it was and and how community focused it was, such a cool campaign and and still so innovative and out of the box. Even eight years later, we're we're still not seeing a lot of you know approaches like this. So such a cool campaign. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And, and, and you know, going back to the point you both made about community, it's, it, it is recognizing that community that makes McDonald's who it is, right? And you want to make sure that you're recognizing the people who, who make that what it is. And that was, that was really important to us, was, was making sure that people were heard uh, and their voices were recognized. You, you mentioned uh, a phrase, Josh, of earned first, uh, which is, uh, I know, something that's kind of near and dear to your strategic heart uh, when it comes to social. Um, you know, how, how do you square that with like the, the, the need for just like really deep authenticity? And I don't use that word lightly. Like it's, I feel like in particular, some platforms I'm thinking here, TikTok, uh, you need to be, you need to be pretty raw as a brand to have success there. Um, if you expect to be, uh, capitalizing on earned, um, sort of organic and earned, uh, what is, how do you kind of square that and you do? Know, really push brands to embrace that mindset. It's a difficult thing sometimes to get large groups of people to be on board with. Yeah, it, it, it is really tough. And I think like, so to your point, Daniel, like earn for, I'm a PR guy at heart, right? That's right. That's where I started. I started as a PR generalist and, you know, evolved in, into it, into the social media strategy area. So earning attention has always been kind of a part of, of, of my DNA. And, you know, I think that that's what makes PR and earned ideas that much harder is because you have to work that much harder to get somebody to pay attention because it's not explicitly put in front of your eyeballs with, with paid. And so we have to look at what do we want to say? What are people talking and what are t- people talking about? Where is that common ground? Where is that commonality? Where is that relatability? And so that's where we try to push a lot of our clients is where is that, where is that relatability factor of what we want to say versus what people are talking about and what they're interested in because you know what they are you know people are hit with thousands and thousands of 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 messages and media a day right they're scrolling so fast so something that captures their attention really has to be breakthrough and it has to be something relevant to them and so everything we push is towards relevance and towards towards earned and whether that's a new product launch or whether that's a you know a service that they're offering we're making sure that we're looking at what is going to be what the product or service they're offering, what what value it's going to provide to the end user, to the customer, to our to our particular target audience. And so, you know, many times there's instances where you have to do a paid thing and you have to do that particular kind of thing that looks like an ad, right? But at the most part, when you're looking at earned and kind of how we do it from our lens is what what is going to get me to stop my scroll? What is going to get me to to share this? And that's where that kind of relatability factor comes in. And, you know, for me, a lot of the things that I like to kind of put through when we're looking at how are we delivering content and what are we going to break through is, is adding a little, if where we can, adding a little humor, humility, and a human touch to it. And, and, you know, those are the things that I think people find relatable and things that are going to carry. And yeah, TikTok is raw. If you, if, if you see an ad, you're going to scroll right, scroll right by it. It has to, it has to be raw. And I think the different mediums, like, TikToking to get away with certain things that you might not be able to get away with in another channel and vice and, and vice versa. So um, 
you know, it's around, that's a roundabout way of saying is making sure that every kind of story we're telling is there's some sort of relatability to it that the end user or the customer is going to find um, inside them that they're going to want to share. I love that approach, especially I think, you know, the way that you describe that. Um, when social media first started out for the vast majority of agencies, social really was placed with PR. Um, and I think at the time people were questioning that and wondering why, but I love your approach and how you've brought that earned PR side into it and really are using it as a tool, co a tool to connect and get people's attention with the right kind of content and, and doing it in relevant ways. And I think that's one of the benefits of, you know, having some of that PR influence is that it really is leaning into the earned and, and understanding your audience and understanding what they want to hear versus say, sometimes on the marketing side, it's used sort of or lumped in as another sort of broadcast tool. So I do really love that approach and how you guide your clients through that. Just want to say that first. The other thing that I was really curious about is, again, going back to, you know, Twitter being in a totally different state today and trying to navigate clients through this really vastly changing social media landscape, especially you mentioned TikTok. They've renewed talks again about banning TikTok nationally. How are you guiding clients through today and helping them still leverage these channels while knowing that some have the potential to be banned versus knowing that they're changing? Facebook, again, just announced yet another 10,000 layoffs, which is awful news. But everything is changing all the time. So how are you helping your clients still maintain that, that earned first focus and, and still be aware of what's coming up? Mm -hmm. Thank you. The, the simple answer is just be prepared because you never know when that's going to happen. I think one of the things I've always struggled with the term own channels when, it, when referring to social because technically you're on rented land, right? You aren't, you do not own those. You may, maybe you own your, 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 you owe your email listserv, you own your website, you know, unless it goes down, the host server goes down. But you, there are different things when it comes to owned and, and, you know, I guess shared, so to speak. So one of the things is always telling them to be prepared, right? Like TikTok could go away tomorrow. Twitter could go down today. And what does that happen? What does that leave you? Meta could, you know, lay off another few thousand people. And is it going to work the same way it, it, it has been? So always be prepared to, um, to pivot and know that, you know, what you're doing on TikTok is preparing you for something that you can do on YouTube shorts or Instagram reels or any other vertical video. So preparing that and making sure that you're taking those learnings from one platform to the other, because the, what works on TikTok probably is going to do okay on YouTube shorts because it's a similar medium, right? And people are consuming similar content. Uh, so take those learnings of, of what's working there and apply them to other places. But at the same time, making sure that you're not neglecting those own channels like email and website and your apps and things like that. Making sure you're hitting people who have already opted in to get information directly from you. Maybe not just hitting follow from a brand on a particular account because you know they're interested in seeing them from time to time. Whereas the own stuff, they say, we want to hear from you when you have something to say. So always preparing them to make sure that, that they're pivoting and able to diversify their content and kind of and strategy and approach um, when, they, when they need it. And going back to kind of being pivoting and, and being able to do it quick, that all day breakfast campaign was actually supposed to launch a day earlier, but because we are or a day later, but because we were ready and prepared, we were able to, uh, to flip a switch real quick and say, you know what, we're not going to skip a beat. 
we're going to go. So, so always being prepared when something happens because we heard it was going to, uh, a reporter was going to break the news and we're like, nope, we're doing this. And so we pivoted quickly um, and we're prepared for that. And so that's often what we tell our clients is just be prepared. The, uh, I mean, you, you lead a pretty, a pretty large team of social pros at Golan. So this, I mean, the question I think that often comes up for anyone operating in today's environment, especially, but social in general over the years, I think today, the last uh, 24 months has probably underscored the risk for uh, social pros to burn out because it's just not only are you kind of feeling maybe pressure to always be on, but you you sort of have to be and be responsive to these different changes. So I, I'm I'm curious. I mean, and you're being in the position of kind of leading uh, a large group of of uh, people in in their social career. How do you you know reinforce that and you know balance the need for people to have time away downtime and also be on and responsive and, and kind of engaged in the, the latest. Yeah. So I, I will say, um, cause my boss will probably listen to this. Uh, so he, he, he my, my boss oversees the, the, the Chicago practice. I help support kind of that, uh, that digital practice. And I've been there for a while. So I've helped with the evolution of it all, but, um, you know, I have a great leader and a great team, but one of the ways that, you know, as you well, go back, as you mentioned, Daniel, it can be easy to burn out, right? It can be easy to, because we're in it every day, and especially some of the more junior staff, they're, they're the ones that are in the weeds and really they're in TikTok. And, you know, we have meetings every week and we have a, a you know, a chat with our digital folks and talking about what are the latest trends and, and cultural insights and things like that. And, and, you know, you can't believe kind of the wormholes you can go down in some of these platforms, obviously specifically TikTok, but so it's, it's making sure that they have, they do know that they have the time and the, I guess, lack of a better way to put it, they, they should unplug. And I think for me as a manager, for the folks that I, for the folks that I manage, um, I make sure that they take that, that time and make sure that they can do the things that they want to do that aren't necessarily just about work and about social, like uh, unplug. Don't look at Twitter for the time that you're on PTO. I always tell the folks that you, A, you have to take your PTO and, and B, when you're on PTO, do not look at work email. Do not look at money. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we're inherently social creatures and people are using social on a regular basis to connect with friends and family and look at memes and stuff like that. But, um, and it's, I think it's different for social folks who are always doing that anyway. Um, but I think one of the things that we do a great job of at Golan is is making sure that people understand that they should be taking these breaks and that, you know what, just because you're out of the feeds for a day or a week or whatever, we're going to be okay and you're going to be better off for it because you're going to come back, you're going to be refreshed. Um, and also just if they need a break, they can raise their hand and, and say, you know what, I, I want to do something a little different. I've been in this, I've been doing this particular thing for so long um, and it's time for a change. So letting them know that they have the ability um, to, to, to take care of themselves, both, you know, physically and mentally. Um, Self-care is, is, is of vital importance because if they burn out, um, you know, they're only doing it. They're not, not, it's not just a work thing, but it's going to impact, you know, their personal lives and things like that. So um, one of the best things about Golan is putting people first and, you know, we make sure that we espouse that with, with our, with our teams. I love hearing about how much you 
really, and just everybody at Golan really puts people first um, because, yeah, the the social burnout is real. Um, and especially social is a part of our everyday lives. And then when we have to do it for work, or I should say we get to do it for work, but it's it's that double factor and it's almost like never off because you're sort of always half on, which is almost worse than being full on all the time. Um, so I love hearing just how much you're trying to get everybody to take a step back and just like re-enter the real world on it from time to time. The other thing I was curious about too is obviously at Golan, you have amazing accounts. As we've already heard, you uh, have McDonald's. Uh, you've worked with McDonald's in the past. You've worked with many, 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 many big brands. How do you staff teams typically? And obviously it depends on, you know, what the client's trying to do and what their social goals are and all that. But what does like a typical structure look like um, for when you are staffing up for social clients? Yeah. So with Golan, we have um, what we call our G4 community. And it's kind of made up of, of you know, four G4, four different communities, right? And so our, our catalysts are our account managers, project managers, and then we have planners and um, analysts who make up our strategist community, our creators who designers, copywriters, big thinkers, and then our connectors, which is what I fall in. And they're broken up into two. So we have our earned media connectors and we have our social or digital connectors. And so we do our best to staff each of those, each of our teams, each of our clients and accounts with members from each of those communities and those spe uh, specialty practices, because we each bring a unique perspective and a specialty um, kind of thinking to each program, whether it's a year-long program or if it's just a product launch or campaign-based, we try to staff it with, with a member of each of those communities, sometimes more depending on what the job is. Like sometimes we're going to have more media connectors because it really calls for a, 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 a media push. And sometimes it's going to be more social heavy. But from a social standpoint, you know, we try to have we, we try to have a mix of, 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 of kind of a, a mix of in a diversity of thought and makeup, right? We want to make sure that we are bringing in people who can, can provide value from different perspectives. And so with me, I might be the senior lead on the particular piece of, uh, of business we're on the project, um, helping kind of set the strategy. I, we get the brief from the client. We start to develop what that creative and idea is going to look like. And then from there, uh, you know, I kind of help to set that strategy. And then ultimately we'll have, you know, a uh, kind of the day-to-day -day lead. So, you know, a, a director or a senior manager who is really going to take the lead on the day-to-day -day strategy and kind of blowing out what that social content strategy looks like, what that channel strategy looks like. And then we're going to have some kind of a, either a manager or associates who really help kind of bring it to life. They're helping do the research, influencer identification, creator identification, um, social channel kind of opportunities for, hey, can we look at the conversation that's happening over here? Could we kind of surprise and delight this person? So they're really looking at engagement opportunities, but also helping to shape what that strategy look like, looks like, right? They might have a different perspective on how we can use TikTok or, um, or Twitter than, than I might. And so want to make sure that we're bringing in those perspectives on how we can best use it depending on, uh, on the target. So each, each client is unique and different. Some will have bigger teams and, and bigger social teams. Some will be a little bit smaller like me and maybe just one other person really rolling up our sleeves and, and, and hammering it out. Uh, but for the most part, we do try to get, um, you know, a diverse group in there um, to not only get experience with it. Like to me, you learn by doing. And I am not, you know, I don't want to do all of the work for a junior team member because they're never going to learn that way. I want them to be able to get in experience it for themselves, 
learn, fail, get back up, grow, those types of things. And so we'll try and do that. And also we work in, in, in complete tandem with our other community members, with our strategists and creatives and, and media uh, and our media folks. Um, and especially when it comes to creative, social creative, when we're doing our content and channel plan, it's super important that our creatives are, we are in lockstep with our creative team. You, uh, you just mentioned influencers, and I, I kind of uh, want to sort of re- uh, maybe end our, our uh, conversation on this because it, it's an interesting uh, perspective mm-hmm. that you uh, may have on this, seeing that you sit across, you know, I'm sure B2B clients, B2C clients, big and small. Um, uh, and so the, the, I guess the question is that we've been seeing a lot of and hearing a lot of conversation about inf- the nature of influencers changing. A lot of brands are kind of looking at really micro or, or I guess you would consider the micro influencers, but uh, uh, people with limited smaller followings. I guess you know I'm curious your perspective is that is that a theme that you see playing out in a lot of your work to the kind of the the changing nature of what who we define as an influencer? Well, no, I think everybody has influence, right? It just obviously depends on kind of well, where you're where you're looking for it and. So it, when you when it comes to the different t- types and tiers of influencer, like obviously you have your micro all the way up to your celebrity or your or your macro, um, and you know for me the the influencer game has really changed. And I think I first really started like kind of like my first project on an influencer. I'm dating myself again, but back in 2008, we did this program for Klondike um, when we were we partnered with the Lowly Island, who's Adams Adam Sam, Andy Samberg's kind of group, right? And they did this, they did these digital shorts for Klondike. And so I was looking for YouTubers um, who were creating content. And at the time there was, influencer was not, was not a, the terminology we use. I'm like, hey, you create video, videos on YouTube. Let's, I want you, I want you to create a video off of this. So little did I know that was my first foray in influencer. Then a few years later, kind of did, kicked off kind of what officially was influencer. And so things have changed. That was just Instagram. But now I think the definition of an influencer has changed. It can be um, it can be somebody with 500 followers or a thousand followers or a million followers, and I think it just depends on what the job to be done is. And I think if a brand is looking to kind of tap into the the size of an uh, of an audience, you know, an influencer from a macro standpoint is probably going to be the way to go. You're kind of leveraging and and, and utilizing that the that influencer for their particular audience. But if you're looking to kind of make incremental change or taking incremental actions, maybe a micro-influencer who has a little bit more of a, a, a relationship with their community that they've built, um, you know, maybe a little bit more micro. Or if you're looking at a creator, they are, you know, really focused on that community building. They're not necessarily saying, I'm an, I care about my follower. They say, I care about the craft and I care about the community that I've built. So I'm continuing to cultivate that. So I think the defi- I mean, definition for me of influencer has changed since I first, uh, I first started kind of um, working with influencers back in the day. But um, you know, I think that's a round. Of, I think that's a roundabout way of saying that, that the definition is kind of squishy, and and it depends on kind of ultimately what your goal is and who you're looking to partner with. Um, but you know, from an influencer standpoint. Uh, we do we do a heck of a lot of work with influencers influencers that go on incredibly important. You know, so so many creative folks, um, and again, I think it's just kind of making sure that you're using the influencer for for what they are what they are best at. And and what a phrase I use is let the chef cook. They know they know what mm-hmm. they're doing. 
And I, I guess going back to the McDonald's example, if at some point you have tweeted about all day breakfast, uh, at some point prior to 2015, you you were kind of by definition an all day breakfast influencer, at least for that one day. Uh, you are correct. Yep. Uh, so that's a good callback. All right, um, Josh, this has been an awesome kind of tour through all things social strategy. I think you know it's always awesome to have uh, uh, folks like you part of the podcast because you you see things from such a broad perspective and you you sit across a bunch of different types of clients and different things. So you're seeing kind of all of this happen at the same time in different ways. So uh, definitely grateful for you being here. Where can um, people want to kind of uh, uh, link up with you? Where's best to do that? LinkedIn, Twitter? LinkedIn and Twitter are probably the best places uh, uh, for, for me uh, right now. Those are the two I'm focused on. Awesome. No shadow TikTok account about, I don't know. Not that I know of, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Uh, well, uh, as you know, uh, anyone who comes on the Social Pro show is subject to the same two final questions, whether they like it or not. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll start with the first question. Are you ready for it? Let's do it. Alrighty. If you could give a piece of advice to anyone who wants to become a Social Pro, what would it be? It's going to sound simple, simplistic, but just start. Just start having conversations with people in the industry, just start researching what uh, about social media, just start creating content so you can experience kind of the, the highs and the lows and what works and what does it. Um, start getting out of your comfort zone because if you want to get into it, you're probably not going to have your footing right away, but just start, just start getting into it because that's the way you are going to end up winning in this industry. And as I mentioned, Previously, you learn by doing. And so you just have to start. You can't think about it. If that's what you want to do, you have to just start and, you know, take that first step. And we had a, I know we were talking earlier about James Clear and taking those actions, but it's just that one step, you know, you keep, you, you want, you know, Jacob even said, you kind of make the habit of who you want to be and you take those little steps to kind of help you get, get there. And just starting is one of those. Yeah, it's such a good point. Um, and for Social Pros listeners, we were chatting offline um, about uh, James Clear um, and Jacob Shipley's. Uh, that would be who he would have a video call with. So let's move into the second and final question of the day. If you could have a video call with any living person, who would it be aside from James Clear, who we are doing now? Well, if James Clear is listening to this, I would love to have it. <laughs> um, you know, if you were asking... If you were asking 12-year-old Josh, it would be Michael Jordan, right? But if you're, at, you're asking Josh now, it's, and this is going to be an interesting one. It would be Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. It's because he is somebody who has had my attention since I was a child. And he had my attention because of his action movies back in the day. But now he has my attention because of the things that he's doing to continue his relevancy in this world. It's not that he's making action movies. But right now he has the, you know, he's making content on Instagram and on TikTok and all of these things. And he also has come out with a newsletter that is just about how to live a better life. And it's not necessarily just his, um, his way of doing things, but he also is adding questions in there. It's, it's not just about, you know, exercise and bodybuilding or weightlifting. It's about eating right. And it's about things you can do for your mental health 
and physical health and for your professional life. And so he is somebody who, you know, he has evolved. And some people, I think, you know, when you idolize growing up, kind of you fall off a little bit. He is just somebody who has found a way to remain relevant in my life for the work that he has continued to do in different areas. Still will love his movies from the 80s, but right now I'm more interested in seeing that daily um, newsletter from him and kind of just the wisdom that he espouses that I can apply to my life. Yeah, he is. uh, It's so crazy to see where he has ended up to going from, like you had mentioned, like, I I don't think anybody under the age of 35 really truly understands the absolute chokehold that Arnold movies had on the industry and like just how massive his presence was at all times, Um, because we just don't really have like mega blockbuster stars like that anymore. Um, but then, yeah, like he's just done so much throughout his life and, and just to see where he is. And now he's like vegan and feeding donkeys in his kitchen or like mini ponies. Like, it's just so crazy. Um, but agree. I, 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 I don't think anybody's ever actually said Arnold before. I think that's a really rad answer. And I also, too, as you were saying that, realized how often I just quote his movies in my everyday life out of total randomness. So I would also like to join that call. When he calls me, when he calls me, I will loop you in. That sounds good. I will get to the choppa and then uh, head on over. And that was not an Arnold voice because I won't do that to you all. Um, Josh, thank you so much for being on Social Bros. This was awesome. Thank you so much for chatting with us. Um, and then we look forward to hearing how your talk with Arnold goes. Anna, Daniel, thank, Daniel, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. And when Arnold calls in, I will, I will ping you. Awesome. All right, everybody, go connect with Josh. Um, Go check out all of the amazingly cool stuff that Golan is doing. And um, Social Processors, thank you again for tuning in with us this week. We will be back again next week with another episode of what we hope is your favorite podcast in the whole wide world, Social Pros. Bye.